His question hung in the air over the disciples. Their nervous answers brimmed with uncertainty. Some say John, others Elijah, Jeremiah, a prophet. But you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Standing while we pray, Lord, we do believe that you are the resurrection and the life. That you, Lord, have power over the grave. And Lord, you will call and people will come even out of the grave. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light on our path. So that we praise you and thank you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is the this is now the fifth week of our sermon series on who do you say that I am? And today, of course, we're going to look at the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And this is probably the capstone of Jesus' miracles. Uh, there's quite a few miracles. There's two other miracles in the New Testament where Jesus prays for someone and they're brought back to life. There's a son and there's a daughter. And a little bit is said about each one of those stories. But this story... This story, we have almost a whole chapter, and Austin got to read it for us. Austin gets some water. That was a long reading. This story going back and forth with Mark, Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus, who dies. This is the same Mary and Martha that we'll talk about in a minute. This is Mary Magdalene. This is the story of Martha and Mary when Martha is working. And then Mary, um, she, she's the one at the feet of Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a second. So this is the capstone of Jesus' ministry. Of course, that it goes without saying that his own resurrection would supersede that. He would come back to life after three days, and he would have a resurrected body. This story is a story of Lazarus being resuscitated back to a normal life, back how he was. And it's a wonderful story. We're going to read, um, I'm, I'm going to look at this story again, even though we read all the way through it. I'm going to go back through it today and re-talk about it and, and reread some of the passages because the Gospels have the power of life in them. This story is just wonderful. Let me tell you a story. Uh, in high school, uh, my, my senior year, I signed up for uh, AP, means Advanced Placement English. Now, I probably had no business being in advanced placement anything, but some of my friends were taking this English class, and I wanted to be in that class with them. So I just signed up for it, and somehow my paperwork went through. They didn't look at my prerequisites or what grades I'd gotten in English before, and they just let me in the class. So I was in this class, and it turned out to be a wonderful thing. I turned out to really fall in love with English and books and reading at this point in my life. It was about a book a week that we had to read in this class. And towards the middle of the school year, we got to the short stories portion of the class, which was a relief to me because now I had less reading to read. And we were studying the works of uh, Anton Chekhov, this great Russian author of short stories, probably one of the best. And one of the stories he wrote, so it's just like this side note that became a big, uh, big part of my senior year and my life and my walk with God. So there's he, Anton Chekhov writes this uh, short story called The Bet. Has anybody ever heard of The Bet? A couple of you. Um, it's a story of a lawyer and a banker, and they're having an argument about which would be harder, uh, what, what, which would be easier on a prisoner. Capital punishment, just the state taking the life of a prisoner, or would life imprisonment be worse 
than uh, capital punishment. They're arguing back and forth. Finally, the lawyer makes a bet that he can stay uh, by himself in solitary confinement, willingly in solitary confinement, for 15 years. And they wager this huge extravagant amount of money, and he goes into solitary confinement, and goes through depression in these different stages, and then starts learning. He becomes this great learner of literature, masters 600 volumes, he becomes a poet, he gets, uh, studies music, he studies all these different things, becomes a learner, and then on the 10th year, it says this. So it's just a secular book, it says this, that at the end of 10 years, the prisoner sat immovable, immovable at the table and read nothing this whole year, read nothing but the Gospels. It seems strange to the banker, that's the other guy, that the man who for four years had mastered 600 learned volumes should waste nearly a year on just one thin book of easy comprehension. So it's this story, it's a fictional story about this guy that learns all this different, all these different things, and on one year, his 10th year, he spends just reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And what is so wonderful here is that these, these stories, even though they're easily comprehensible, they have in them life, and they're easy to understand. I remember just that one little line just really hit me as a high schooler, and I thought, wow, the power of the Gospels. And we had discussions about that in the class, and, and, and at our table, and then the whole class got to talking about truth and, and the Gospels, and what are in the Gospels, these stories of Jesus, these words of Jesus. And here today, we're going to spend quite a bit of time re-looking at this passage that, that, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So uh, um, I have four movements, four points in this sermon. And the first point is this. It says, Jesus wants to invade our reality. Jesus wants to invade our reality. So we'll jump back in the story at verse 17. Verse 17, it says this. On the arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He was dead. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss because of their brother. So here's what we skipped. Um, here's the, the prelude of the story is that Lazarus is dying, and Jesus is just two miles away, and Martha and Mary continually sin for Jesus to come and heal their brother Lazarus. Now, two miles from here isn't very far. Like from this building, if you walk down Manitou Ave, about two miles from here is Safeway. People walk to Safeway from Manitou every day to go get groceries. It's not very far. Jesus was just two miles away while Lazarus was dying, and Martha and Mary keep sending for Jesus to come to him. This is the same Martha that Jesus, uh, I guess, kind of confronts when Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and, and Jesus says to Martha, 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 are you concerned about many things? But Mary has chosen what is right. She's spending time with me. This is the same Martha and Mary. This is the same Mary that is Mary Magdalene that wipes uh, the, the feet of Jesus with her own hair. This is the same Mary that's one of the first to be at the tomb of Jesus when he rises from the dead. So this is a family that Jesus knows very well. The story goes on to say this. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And we don't know how that was said. It's like uh, when you get a text message that says something and you don't know the tone behind it. It's like you kind of want the smiley face or the sad face. You're not really sure how it is being said. I come to this text in the same way. I'm not really sure. Is, is, is Martha mad at Jesus? One of the second stages of grieving is anger. So does she say this in anger? Like, if you would have been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. Is she saying it in faith, knowing that Jesus could have saved Lazarus if he would have been here. If Jesus would have been here, Lazarus would have been healed, and I would have had so much hope. Now, he's dead, as it said, in grief. I imagine maybe some or all of these feelings were going on. But Martha says this. Um, she says, I know that even now, God will give you whatever you want. She says this, and, and I don't think she quite believes I mean, we as Christians living now, in, in this year, having just read this story, and some of you are probably already familiar with the story, you know that Lazarus is going to come out of the grave, a dead man is going to come back to life. But Martha certainly didn't know that, and, and what she says here, she says that God will give you whatever you ask. I, I think that she's saying this is just a, something to say, like something faithful, something hopeful to, to Jesus, because later on, when Jesus says, open up the tomb, she's the one that says, no, 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 stop. Don't open the tomb. It's, it's going to be a horrible stink in there, and we don't want to let that out. Let me tell you one more story. Um, just thinking about this theme of Jesus entering our reality. Years ago, I was planning a talk to give to some high schoolers at a youth group, and I was quite nervous. It was going to be a lot of students and an important talk, and so I was researching how to talk to high schoolers. I talked to different people, some of them not even pastors, uh, but just how do you engage high schoolers? How do you talk to high schoolers? And one of them was very, like this very entertaining kind of guy, kind of a, a hipster. He wore skinny pants, a cool dude. Like he, high schoolers would have seen him as someone who was cool. He says, you gotta entertain these kids. They, they're so used to entertainment, you gotta entertain them when you talk. And so he said, I have illustrations. You know, get an illustration. He told me that one of his best illustrations was these cardboard cutouts of different cartoon characters. He had like Iron Man and Mario and uh, Papa Smurf and these different cartoon characters. And so while he was talking and like doing his thing and entertaining the kids, he was like, what do you think, Papa Smurf? Why aren't you saying anything, Papa Smurf? And he would just do his thing and like do his little dance. And everybody, all these high school students were really, really entertained. And I was like, man, I gotta figure out a way to entertain these high schoolers. Another person that I talked to said, well, you gotta get these high schoolers laughing. Like, they, they gotta be, they, you know, they gotta be engaged with laughter. And his, his whole premise was that when people laugh, they kind of open themselves up. And as they're opening themselves up, he said, I'm gonna inject them with truth. I'm like, get them laughing, get their mouths open, and just shove truth at them. And I was like, all, all right, I guess that's how you do it. I guess I gotta work on some jokes. I gotta be really funny to these high schoolers. And I was, I was kind of working on my sermon and planning this and just really nervous about it and thinking, gosh, I'm not very good at entertaining people and I'm sure not as funny as this other guy. And then I talked to another pastor, uh, an older pastor, a pastor that's maybe close to his retirement years now, someone who I really respect, uh, someone who uh, I'm thinking about like in my own life, people that I know that are spiritual leaders in my life, probably one of the top three or top five men and, and, and in my life. And, and I asked him, like, you know, just kind of thinking through this sermon I was going to give to these high schoolers. Uh, he had this somehow gotten involved with this public school, just a secular, uh, regular public school where they taught 
uh, this religious studies class, and they have uh, talks about Buddhism, and they bring in a Buddhist. Talks about Hinduism, they bring in a Hindu. And somehow he was the guy, for when they talked about Christianity, he came in and got to spend 20 minutes with a class of high schoolers talking about what Christianity is. And I thought, wow, cool, does, does it ever go well? He said, well, I don't, I don't know, but, but usually someone, almost always after every class, at least one or two people will contact me later. Like he'll come and talk for 20 minutes and then he'll leave. And then usually someone or two, maybe three people will contact him and ask him more about Christianity. So like, what well, you said this, but what's that mean? You know, like, well, what about this and that? So I was intrigued. I was like, wow, you must be pretty good. Like, what do you say? He said, well, here's what I do. I, I start off, and it's like, yeah, yeah, what do you do? You have like a Papa Smurf cut out? Do you, do you tell them your best joke? Like, what do you do? He's like, well, I start off, and I tell them, yeah, what, what, what do you tell them? I tell them that they're all going to die. I was like, but do what? You start off with what now? He's like, I, I just, I only have 20 minutes with them, and for some of these students, it might be the only real Christianity. They might not never darken the, the door of a church. They might never come to a church. They may not have a Christian friend who's able to explain the gospel very well. He said, I have 20 minutes with them, so I don't do any jokes. I don't do any illustrations. I just start right to the reality of what life is. I said, you're going to die someday. And he walked through like uh, what a funeral usually looks like. And then he said, well, who, who are you? And... and and what will happen to you after your death? And he begins to talk about the gospel message. That we've fallen short of God. That we, in our own ways, we have sinned. And that Jesus and the religion of Christianity worships a God who came to earth and who died. And then rose from the grave to then tell about it later. And he, within 20 minutes, he just presents the gospel and starts off with the reality that we're all going to die. The reality in this story of Lazarus is that there's a dead man that Mary and Martha are horribly grieving because they have just lost their brother, probably in a violently sick kind of way. Like usually if someone dies very quickly, within a couple days, they have died very violently, and it's a very horrible thing to watch. And here's their brother, now dead. This next point, and I'll, I'll read some more of the text. The next sermon point out of four, this is the second one, says this, Resurrection is our greatest hope, not resuscitation. Resurrection is our greatest hope, not resuscitation. What I mean by that is that this message, I often see this message about Lazarus being used on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, and I'm like, wait, that's, I mean, surely it's a, it's a great sermon, it's a great passage, and surely there is foreshadowing to Jesus' resurrection, but this sermon is not the Easter sermon. This sermon is not the sermon of the resurrection. This sermon, this story is about a man coming back to life. Resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus comes back to life in the resurrection, He comes with a whole new body. He comes with a body that will never die. Let me say something obvious, that even though Lazarus was raised from the dead, he would then die again, right? Or else we would know about it. He'd be like a 2,000-year-old man. Like, dude, this guy's been around since Jesus. That's pretty cool. No, Lazarus had to die again. And so when Jesus talks about the resurrection... He's talking about life eternal and never having to die again. And no tear, no, um, no pain, no more suffering. This story, I'll, I'll read here. Verse 23 says this. So Martha and Jesus are still in this conversation. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha, seemingly, it seems like she's very full of faith. Martha, Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
That's truly our hope. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. We talk about some mystery. I'm going to read this again. Try to, try to listen to it. This is, I think, the same reason why uh, that, that short story mentioned the Gospels as one of the most profound, small books that are easy to understand but have so much depth. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked this question, do you believe this? And what a statement. Says he's the resurrection and the life. And then he asked Martha, just like he's in a way asking all of us, do we believe that? This sermon series is all about these statements that Jesus says. Do we believe this statement that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe the grave clothes can be taken off? Do you believe that Jesus conquered the grave? Do you believe that the stone could be rolled away? Martha answers this. She says, Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah. The Son of God who has come into the world. Let me give you an exercise in thinking. Many of you have been Christians for a while. Maybe some of you are brand new to Christianity. This is a good question about what it is we believe. Can God heal anyone if there is enough faith? Does God heal anyone, everyone, if there is enough faith? Will God heal everyone or anyone if there is enough faith? The answer to this, I think, is a resounding yes. We believe in the resurrection. That at the resurrection, there will be no pain, no suffering, and everyone will be healed. Think about Lazarus. He was raised from the dead, but then he would die again. The greatest of all healers, thinking about like Christian uh, people who, who go and, and heal people, pray for people, and they are healed. I think about Peter, the apostle, who's just shadow laid on someone and they were healed, or Paul, who had a, a handkerchief and touched it, and then someone else who was sick touched that handkerchief and they were healed. Wow! But Peter is now dead. Paul is now dead. We are all, even when we pray for the most profound healings, and I've seen some healing in my life, people getting healed, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but eventually those people will just die of something else. So my point here is that Going back to that Jesus, His resurrection and life is forever. When we are raised from the dead, that is forever. And that promise is forever. Our truest hope, our greatest hope, is not this, just that we will get healed. I'm going to skip ahead down to um, kind of fast-forwarding this statement. Um, Mary <clears throat> comes, so Martha and Mary are in the house. Jesus comes, Martha comes out, and what does Martha ask Jesus? Or what does Martha say to Jesus? If you were here, my brother would not be dead. Same thing happens again. Mary gets up, she goes to Jesus. What does Mary say to Jesus? If you were here, if you were here Lord, he would be dead. my brother would not have died. That's the same question being asked again and again. Obviously, these sisters are so filled with grief and hoping and wondering, Lord, why weren't you here? If you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. Jesus has other plans. Verse 34, or actually let me say this point and will lead us into what I'm going to read next. This next sermon point is it takes belief to see the glory of God. It takes belief to see the glory of God. So verse 34 says this. Jesus asked the question, where did you lay him? 
And I wonder if that, like, what does that matter, Jesus? Like, why, why do you want to know that? You, you weren't here, and, and he is now dead. What does it matter where he is? But they say, come and see, Lord. They replied. And then there's verse 35, depending on the translation, is the shortest verse in the Bible. It just says, Jesus wept. So he goes to this tomb of Lazarus. He sees where they laid him, and he weeps. And the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, it's again the same question. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? I mean, here he was, just two miles away. He was down at the Safeway, and Lazarus died just two miles away. And they kept calling for him to come, and he didn't come. So here's the third time now it's, it's shown up in this text that if Jesus would have been here, Lazarus would be alive. But it continues on. But some of them, verse 37, some of them said, Could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, uh, kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it. Jesus says this. This changes everything. Take away the stone, he said. What? You've seen the tomb, and you've wept here. Now let's let's go eat lunch. Like let's we got other stuff to do, Jesus. You've, you've wept at the tomb. Why in the world would you want to open up the tomb? In fact, it, it startles Martha. Remember, this is the same Martha who just said, Jesus, I know that you can do all things. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for it had been four days. You know what this verse says in the King James Version? Don't open the tomb for it. Stinketh is what the King James Version says. I mean, no kidding. Here is another a human being dead for four days. Jesus, please don't do this. You've seen where they, you've, we've laid him. What in the world are you up to? Why would you do this? Why would you take? Uh, why would you go in there? Why would you open up this tomb? It's a horrible thing. Please don't do it. Is what she is asking. And Jesus says this, verse forty. Then Jesus said, "Did I not tell you that if?" And I'll tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. What a huge, what a huge statement. Like, remove the stone. They said, no, please don't do this. It's, it's going to be horrible in there. And Jesus says, but I told you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. I just wonder, like, what stone is there? In, in your life, in your situation, what stone is in my life, in my world that I am not willing to remove? That the Lord has something wonderful planned, that He is going to change everything if we are willing to maybe go that step and remove the stone from the entrance of the tomb. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Just imagine that. You think about the four days of grieving that Martha and Mary had been just utterly grieving in their house. Thinking, maybe rehearsing in their mind what they would say to Jesus when he showed up. Jesus, if only you had been here. Lazarus would not have died. But does that even matter anymore? No. Here he is, walking out of the tomb. And Jesus said to them, Take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. 
Think about, like in our life, we're, we're praying for something, we're asking the Lord for a miracle. What is it that maybe we've given up on? Surely Martha and Mary had given up. Lazarus was now dead, they had given up. That's what we do when someone dies, we give up. We go into grieving, but this situation wasn't over. Think about situations in our life. What sin has grabbed us that we just go with whenever that sin grabs us because we have just given up? What things have we given up on thinking that there's no more hope? But there is hope and the Lord wants to do something new. Let me give you my last point here as we wrap up. The last point is that God's work will change everything. God's work will change everything. It says this in verse 45, it says, Therefore many Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in Him. Wow, like no kidding. They just saw a dude who was dead for four days. They rolled away the tomb, the, the stone from the entrance of the tomb. They heard a man say, Lazarus come out, and a dead man came out of the grave. That's, that's a true miracle. And some of them believed. We've seen in this congregation some new believers, people come to faith in knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And, and Steve announced this earlier, that we are going to have baptisms two weeks after Easter. Why? Because there's people coming to the Lord. There's people believing upon this. Believing that when Jesus can call, people can come out of the grave. I prayed this over a man in Manitou this week. Uh, there's, there's a guy that uh, I know, maybe some of you know him as well. This guy lives in Manitou, I won't say his name, I, I want to honor him, but he's a pretty severe addict, he's a, 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 um, he, he drinks alcohol, he's a pretty severe alcoholic, and uh, seven days ago I learned that he had been taken to the hospital, he overdosed, and two people told me that he was in the hospital, and both people said, he's probably dead, he, he drank way too much the other night, and he's in the hospital, he's taken away an ambulance, and he's probably dead, and I prayed, Lord, if there's any hope for this man, if, if Lord, if you would uh, call him, I, I was planning and thinking through this sermon while hearing about this man that's in the hospital because he overdosed. And I prayed, Lord, if it's your will, would you call him by name and would you bring him out of the grave that he has put himself into because of this addiction? <coughs> and sure enough, uh, the, the Lord answered that prayer. The Lord answered prayers of many people praying for him. And he got a little better and he was released from the hospital. And I saw him the other day in Manitou. And, and it was just like, wow, the Lord answers. What a miracle. And then I thought, well, now, now an even bigger miracle has to happen. Here's, a, here's someone struggling as an addict with alcohol. And now they need to go to rehab. And so I prayed, Lord, would you bring him out of the grave of alcohol? Would you bring him out of that and let him see life and live? And sure enough, I... I Sharing with you now that he is now checked into a rehab center in Colorado Springs and he's on a very long road to getting better, getting help. But the Lord called him out of the grave, just like Lazarus, just in the situation, the grave of alcohol, the grave that he had put himself in. Here he is coming out of this grave and about to live life. Romans 8 and 11 says, The same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you living in me. He has raised Christ from the dead. And He will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives inside of you. I'm going to reread that passage that Jesus says to Martha before 
this miracle of Lazarus coming out of the grave happens. Jesus says this I am statement. We'll close with this. Verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, so it's this conversation that we already read, I'm going to reread it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Would you bow your heads with me? And ask, being asked of this question, do you believe this? This, this story of, of Jesus saying he is the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in him will never die. And then he asks us, he asks Martha, he asks us, do we believe this? Do we believe he is who he said he was, the resurrection and the life? So Lord, those of us that do believe, Lord, we, we believe in you. We believe in resurrection. We believe that we can be called out of the grave of anything in our lives that, that has gripped us, anything evil in our lives that has taken us. We believe that we can come out of the grave because you call us and because you are the resurrection and the life. And Lord, we know that believing in you will change everything forever and ever in our lives and in our hearts. And so some of us, Lord, we are in the boat of, of needing to repent, to come to you for the very first time. Others of us are just in the, in the need of, of always needing to repent and come before you and say, Lord, you are the life. You are the resurrection inside of us. So we praise your name, Lord. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.